Head over to our Twitter page at Dewing Grain to find out how you can be in with the chance of winning a Christmas hamper from Bakers and Lanas of Holt worth £500. The winner will be announced on our podcast on the 17th of December. Good luck! Hi and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Each week, Andrew Dewing will talk you through the current market, giving you up-to-date information and insider advice. He will also be interviewing a leader in the world of agriculture and finishing up with Farm Chat, which includes his favourite bit, where he tastes beer for free. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and his market report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows is my thoughts or gut instincts of what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Week commencing 3rd of December 2018. This week, I'm going to be taking my recording equipment to the London Bourse. So at the end of the week, I might be able to catch one or two of my competitors and ask them some some direct questions where the grain trade gets together and has a bit of banter with each other. Now, I might actually draw some opinions about what the market's going to do, and I'll name names, but I will be kind and generous in my editing. The market... Uh, well, it has been vaguely interesting uh, if you want to listen to Brexit commentary and try and watch for currency movements or try and second guess Donald Trump's how's he going to get out of jail with a deal with China or what's going to happen in the G20 or is Russia going to invade Ukraine properly? So, yeah, it's it's everybody looking at currency as what's going to happen next. And that, that remains fairly mundane, despite the uh, profit of doom at the, at the Bank of England saying that house prices are going to drop by 30% and a number of other catastrophes. Uh, it, it all seems rather calm. Prices of grain have been rather calm as well. Um, so to, to start with, I think I'll talk about uh, feed barley. Ex-farm, January 165. Nothing exciting there. New crop prices exactly the same, about 135 delivered store. Can't find many feed barley buyers off us for new crop. Um, we don't really know whether there'll be export opportunities or not, obviously. So if I, if someone suddenly came along and sold a 1,000 tonnes to me, I would get a little bit worried in the sense that I can't find anyone to buy it off me. So maybe I'm paying too much money. Malting barley... Old crop is beginning to firm up a bit. Um, there's there's a number of rejections and downgrades of barleys as they're getting delivered, uh, which is very unfortunate because the prices are probably lower than where the market is now. So there's there's defaults hanging around. So ordinary Planet Propino 185 Nitrogen Spring Barleys, value for Fairbex Farm about 205 which is good. That's a great price, 200 and anything. And obviously, as I've said before, if you've got distilling varieties of Laureate or Concerto, then, uh, you know, we're very keen, as everybody else is, to get our hands on it. As far as new crop is concerned, probably 160, 165x ordinary malting barleys, the, the distilling types, 175x. I think it's one of those, if you've got any of those things, certainly you need harvest movement for, you know, we, we will talk to you specifically looking at where your farm is, where you want to move it to, or when you want to move it. It is going to be a market that the distilling market won't be influenced by a terrible Brexit, whereas the other barleys, uh, the winter barleys and the the Propino planet type barleys could be affected if we have a, a, a no-deal Brexit. Acreage is down of malting barley by about 8%, which is a bullish signal normally, but we are an exporting country. So as a surplus producer of malting barley, 
that could be very detrimental to prices. But again, we're in that who's got a clue what happens after Brexit. But as I say, because whiskey is traded on WTO terms with no tariffs, distilling barleys are secure. So Concerto Loria is a very safe bet for planting. As for oilseed rape, we hasn't really moved. Um, the other I mentioned on malting barley the um, the tariffs on distilling barley as well on on oil it's the same there is no tariffs on oil trading so that also isn't going to suffer from a terrible Brexit in in the context of any surplus tonnage we have in the UK so we are fundamentally bullish to new crop because the acreage is down current values are for January X farm old crop 323 for harvest 312 but not very exciting um yep so let's see what the politicians do to us for the next week thank you for listening please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. Crush Foods produces a unique range of single variety cold pressed rapeseed oils. All their seed is grown here in Norfolk. They only press a single variety for its taste and they believe that this is what gives the oil the light nutty flavour people like. Available in local shops across Norfolk, Suffolk and beyond. Visit crush-foods.com for more information. And now it's time for our feature. This morning I have got with me one of the two mentors I have had in my career. Uh, Ivan Bishop was the grain manager at Dalgetty Rackheath in 1978 and I was 16 and I was appointed as a documentation clerk. Good morning, Ivan. Morning, Andrew. How did you feel about a farmer's son being a documentation clerk? Oh, it's over the moon, especially when he arrived and <laughs> he wasn't a very good documentation clerk. <laughs> I thought I was really good. <laughs> <laughs> you would. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> Ivan is is part of the Legend series. We've um, we've had Mr. Munt, and um, the thing about Ivan is he. When I first came into the industry, there were there were these this big sort of open plan office with glass partitions, and there I was in the incredibly dull, uh, handwritten documentation room, and uh, the room behind me was a grain trading room, and that lot seemed to be drinking beer, going to the pub, uh, going to various anything but work type things and just laughing or pretend to play cricket or whatever in the, in, in the office. And I thought, ah, oh, that looks a good job. I think I'll do that. <laughs> but I want to go actually in a little bit into um, into history because I think we're about to get to a, a time where we, we perhaps reinvent or aspire to reinvent something that happened in the past. When you joined the trade, Ivan, what year was that? Uh, well, that's a very loaded question, Andrew. All I would say <laughs> in answer to that, the Beatles were very... Uh, popular and um yeah it was it was the 60s and it was and um it was uh i joined actually as a lab assistant but i soon realized that um doing the post making the fires up and everything else putting barley samples on the shelf but it was the 60s yeah way back in the 60s okay and and at that time estimate roughly how many merchants do you think there were in Norfolk and Suffolk? Oh, there was just countless merchants, small merchants, mainly small merchants, two men bands, and and they had a good farmer following. Um, farmers were quite loyal and, and supported them. I think 
The reason they did that is because I joined this company called Woodsad Moor, and it became a division of Dalgetty. Mm. And at the time, uh, Dalgetty were, I think it stemmed from Dalgetty New Zealand Loan. And they had a bit of a, a, a name, whether it was deserved or not, I don't know, for being quite uh, harsh with farmers. I think they used to lend them money for crops and so on and so forth. But um, so it was it was quite a, an eye-opener to suddenly find that Woodside Moore, who were probably way back in the Quill, Quill Pen area, suddenly were a division of a very big shark-type organisation. The, the most powerful firm at that time was who? Well, I think on the retail side of things was uh, probably ECF. Um, so e- ECF, for those of you born after the year 2000, is Eastern Counties Farmers, and it was a wholly owned farming business, wasn't it? They're, Cooperative, they're, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. And, the, and the board was predominantly made up of... Farmers, Alst- surprisingly Alstons, <laughs> Alstons, Pattersons, and and several other Scottish uh, types who'd come down to to, to conquer Norfolk. Yeah, um, and I can remember them being a phenomenally big business in the late seventies, where they mm. they had committed grain, and they had they had control in in from what I could see. Yeah, they were they were somebody that uh, certainly dealt with the bigger farmers. Um, ECF then suddenly. Um, didn't get involved in the uh, grain trading side of things. They had a feed mill, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and they also had machinery and and so on. And uh, I think because of their uh, lack of uh, going into grain markets seriously, they they went into stud- steady decline. The, 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 the makeup of the industry was lots, lots of small merchants. ECF, the powerful ones. Along came Dalgetty and started buying up small merchants to get a foothold in the industry. And they did, to a large degree, become the biggest um, in the late 70s and 80s by acquisition. Mm. Um, And they then took on Spillers, didn't they? Yes. And the world was going to end because Dalgetty owned Spillers. Mm. But I can remember when I uh, actually uh, made it to uh, becoming a farm rep, going to some farms where I was told quite politely and sometimes impolitely that Dalgetty wasn't welcome on their farms because they were a danger. Is there, there's a name springs to mind there, Ivan. Yes, there is. I'll and say sad, it. I'll sadly, say it. no more, but uh, yeah. Well, I got on phenomenally well with David Ritchie, but the first time I went to, to the farm with, with, uh, with, with Laurie, uh, who'd asked me to come and get a sample, I met the formidable David Ritchie standing on a, a, a step uh, to, to the barn and uh, who are you? And I said, I'm, hello, I'm Andrew doing. I'm from Dalgetty to come to get a sample in my best voice. And uh, he uh, he gave me a 20-minute lecture on how Dalgetty's were t- trying to monopolise and how cooperation was the only way forward. And it, and it was very well uh, rehearsed and very passionate. And at the end of it, you know, not really knowing quite what to say, because uh, he's quite fierce, I said, I'm, I'm sorry about that, Mr. Ritchie, but shall I not bother to get a sample? And he said, no, no, things are changing, and stood aside and off I went and got a sample, mm. and consequently bought the barley, funnily enough. But you've got to remember that, that in the 60s, <laughs> and I remember when I first started uh, repping, that a lot of farmers were just small farmers, and they were quite 
It was, it was remarkable. When I think back, they were quite content with their lifestyle. But you could see, you know, the development uh, of bigger farms. It was, mm. you know, it's still happening today, but it was, it was quite sad. Um, when you think of the number of county council small holdings in East Norfolk, for instance, mm. and, and giving people a start, and, um, you know, it's, it's just sad to see them go. Well, you know, my, my, I was brought up on a county council small holding. You know, my dad's uh, family farm, you know, his father died a little bit too young and, and it went off in another direction a generation before him. Mm. He already made his mind up to farm. And so the only he, it gave him an opportunity to farm. Mm. And he loved his life as a farmer. He didn't oh, yeah. want, it wasn't about money, it was about doing that. I was brought up as a city boy and uh, I actually um, met a chap called, um, well, someone of my own age, uh, um, the late Jimmy Key. We got friendly and he took me to his farm. And after that I was hooked, mm. uh, completely hooked on agriculture. Didn't know one end of a pig to the other end. And um, I, I, I couldn't, I went to Easton and um, I enjoyed it there and everything else. But I realised then that uh, in agriculture, milking cows at quarter past four in the morning <laughs> was not for me. So I ducked out and joined the, the next best thing. The trade was made up of people from the city or they were, or were they, you know, some sort and of... When I f- first came at the trade, there was a, a predominance of ex-military people. It was quite strange, really. In, at Woodside Moor, we had uh, Captain Terry, an extremely nice chap, and there were lots of people that had been in the guards and, and things like that, whether that was because, you know, they couldn't get another job. <laughs> I, I don't know, but it was... Uh, Let's not draw on the level of IQ required for grain trading. Well, exactly. Well, I got in, so it must be fairly low. So. No, but that, the, see, even in my day, there was a, there was a dynamic of, of well-connected people coming into the industry mm. um, and, and kind of getting given a job somewhere because they couldn't get a job somewhere else, it felt like. Mm. Well, there was a lot of uh, chaps who, who came into the industry and were carried in an industry. Now, you're not carried at all. No. You know, you've got to earn your crust, as it were. Now, the survivors of that era had to be hungry. You know, that, you know there's, a, there's a few of us left. And, uh, yeah, the, the benefit to me was that, you know, these, these, these posh boys didn't have the hunger. They, they wanted to go to the pub. They wanted to be seen at all of the right things, but they didn't want to really get their hands dirty and understand the dynamic. Putting the bag together, let's talk about that. You know, back mm. in those days, there was a market at, at London, there was a market in Bury, there was a market in Dis. Every in King's Lynn. Yeah, you know, and Norwich. Was, yeah, Norwich yeah, on a Saturday morning, yeah. And so all of these merchants would go into this place and they would do proper face-to-face bartering. Mm. Mm. And, um, and if there was a dispute... Uh, well, it, it, usually it would be sorted out. I mean, there was an arbitration uh, process in the, in the contract, but most people came to an amicable agreement. Every, every now and again, there's fisticuffs. Every now and again, <laughs> there was... I was remember... You know, I, won't, I can't use names, but I remember this guy coming in, a farmer came in and went, outside you, mm. and they had a fight. Yes. <laughs> had a yeah. fight. And, he, and the trader came back in later and put his tie straight and rubbed his nose and kind of, you know, got on with it. And... Uh, one of the one of the observations I have of the trade nowadays is some people can do some pretty snaky things from a long way away, and there's no relationship whatsoever with the person they're doing it to. So consequently, there isn't that kind of opportunity for the small man to turn around and say, "You've just done me over. I'm not happy." Mm. They can. It's easy as an anonymous party to decree that you're going to take twenty pounds a ton of them. Yeah, I, th- I think the um, 
the actual uh, trade is is very very honest. Uh, mm. I was fortunate enough to be brought up with uh, with Don Patterson, and Don Patterson's great saying was "straight bat, uh, always play with a straight bat," and he's one hundred percent right. Yeah. Um, once you lose your integrity, you can't regain it, and and if you play a straight bat, you've got nothing. I to can worry remember about. being in the office and uh, Don. Well, his main phrase for me was hitting me around the back of the head saying, attention to detail, come on, attention to detail, and smack me. If I made a mistake, he'd hit me. And, yeah. and uh, I would just love to hit some of the people that had worked me around the back. <laughs> but we're not allowed to nowadays because exactly. they might faint or get knocked out or something. <laughs> but, no, I can remember a farmer coming in and inferring that, that we had done something dishonest. And it wasn't. It was just, you know, he'd mm. produced something that was just not up to the spec. And Don... His eyes went back in his head, and mm. he sort of went very quiet. And, and then it was like a volcano. He went nuts. Mm. Oh, you come in here and dump. And, and, and he absolutely threw the bloke out of the office. Mm. And uh, I remember thinking, That's, that is impressive. Mm. And it came absolutely from the, from the guts, and I, that was an inspiration. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he, was a, he was a quality chap. Yeah, the, I mean, the team at Rackheath, we, we were, you know, I was only the junior member, but I just, I can't tell you, we, we were... Well, it ended up becoming the, Dal- the, the hub of the Dalgetty Grain Office. You know, you were the mm. most successful trading office. I know all the other regions, uh, or anyone who listened to this who was a Dalgetty region, oh, no, we were better. No, you weren't. Rackheath was the best. We made the most money, and we were incredibly cocky with it, and it was great. Mm. And, and so we had the superstars of Don and Ivan who ended up being taken into a central office to, to, to show the rest of the regions how it was done, if you like. And um, so the upbringing of those two guys was... was this incredibly robust, decisive set of people with with principles that actually, well, they did actually make decisions. You know, you well, you had to make uh, decisions. I mean, it was a lot of gut instinct. Um, you didn't have screens in front of you or anything like that. It, it was you rang the futures market every sort of. A couple of hours or something, just to see what they were doing. But when I think back, when I first became grand manager, I, I really didn't know enough to be grand manager. But I had a very young team uh, with me, and we all gelled, thank goodness. And I think that was the spirit of the team that that made us successful. I think your luck turned up when I arrived. Actually, I <laughs> my my part of the job I did was question that was going bit. down to you did you didn't want a farmer's son in the grand trading <laughs> office. Don't you? I led you into that at the start. Yeah. But the, my 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 favourite job was going down to Yarmouth to pick up the bills of lading, which was signed by the captain. And uh, I was able to take someone's company car down there, so I used to uh, borrow your car, right? <laughs> yes, I remember it. Yeah, it was never the same, but there we are. <laughs> That's very kind of you. There's the car. Driving down the Armour Seafront with the windows down and hot chocolate singing Heavens in the Backseat of My Cadillac <laughs> was as cool as I could get. Good fun. Yeah. Um, no, but so so the, the the merchanting industry started to disappear as Dalgetty came in. Mm. Other companies also started to uh, you know follow suit in uh, but there there came a point where um it, the, the, there was a very dramatic loss of trading houses in the in the sort of 80s and mm. 90s um and then Dalgetty's demise ECF's demise what what was the reason for that uh, uh I, I don't really know exactly what the demise was but certainly they obviously had financial problems uh, i think financing the business i think the machinery business was difficult i think that the um, bigger merchants were uh, getting 
fertilizer companies on side, sprayers on side. Um, I don't want to say it was a management issue, but um, they they probably let the grain side go. And the grain was important to a lot of farmers. I mean, the, the, the conversations over the years, if you have a superstar in your team and he's earning a million pounds for himself, mm. but he's making the business three million pounds, mm. then you keep him. Exactly. And the mentality of ECF was, oh, you can't pay someone that much. So you get someone for £20,000 a year instead. See, we've saved lots of money there. And I think that's, that's where they went wrong. They, they didn't... There's a kind of... You know, it's a, it's a, bit, it's a bit of a controversial statement, but it's a, there's a little bit of someone can't earn that much money, it doesn't seem right, and they can't put the value on that. And I think that's where they went wrong. If, if, a, if a business came along that farmers controlled in the future, it's really important you have some industrial uh, influence outside agriculture to make sure that you don't lose your, your stars. I think one of the one of the key things about being in, I guess, any industry. I've never been in another industry, but I guess the key thing is innovation. You've always got to keep thinking. You've always got to come up with new things. You know, you've always got to find a, a track that nobody else is finding. You can't just sit there and have a steady path because that steady path starts to go down. Mm. You never go up. You've got to aim for something different. This brings us up to today that we we have a problem. The industry is consistently making a loss every year. Now, lots of people are owned by very major companies. Maybe it's some form of international tax trick. Mm. But I I don't think so. I think that the UK environment is such that there isn't money to have big overheads to survive. It's not, it's, you know, we have a model of a small business. We know our overhead and we, we, you know, we've just done our year-end figures, and we've we've had an okay year. It's not it's not what we wanted, but we're in profit, and, mm-hmm. and I'm pretty certain this is for year-ending uh, June 18. I'm pretty certain that lots of my competitors are going to have to do some very strange book cooking to get anywhere near a profit, mm-hmm. and that's really unhealthy. Well, I think a lot of the uh, a lot of the merchants have got to watch their their overheads. But also, you have to say that, you know, when you get a small UK crop or something, puts a tremendous amount of pressure on the bigger companies. Mm -hmm. Like this year, we haven't had uh, as big a crop as we'd all like. So, you know, if you divide that by 14 million, uh, you've got to make an awful lot of money out of other things. Mm -hmm. Well, if it isn't there, you can't make the money. And um, that's going to put a lot of people under a, a tremendous amount of pressure. And it's going to result in probably the farmers not having as much of a, a, an option as they would like. And hence, going back to your earlier statement, should farmers start banding together and become a bit more powerful? What's the, what's the worst moment you ever had <laughs> talking to a farmer? I don't want to discuss that one. <laughs> that was the full power of my life. But, I'm, going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to say it. I'm going to tell it. I, Ivan... And I used to sit in an office together, and we'd we'd set up this office for for Allied Grain at Tis. Can I see you? <laughs> can, can if you like. I, but the, the, we sat there, and we we would we would. He I wouldn't let me go home until we'd bought another hundred tons somewhere or another, which is just like you know, I had a young family, and I was like, oh come on, I and you about time you bought some. I know, he said, I'll phone up. I'll say, Mrs. X. So there's yeah, this lady, better, yeah, lady there's, farmer. There's a lady Very farmer nice lady who farmer. was in her late seventies. Must have been that way, yes. Yeah, 
And Ivan said, right, I'm going to phone her up. And he got his little head right about, I, I, mean, I know what I'm going to say. I'm going to try and get her to sell me 50 tonnes of wheat. <clears throat> and what, for whatever reason, neither of us will ever know. I, I was trying to get hold of her for <laughs> about a fortnight. And, and she oh, wasn't yeah. around. And uh, I kept ringing and ringing and ringing. And in the end, I said, hello, Mrs X. I said, I've been trying to get hold of you for ages. I said, you must have a really busy sex life. Now, why I said that, I do not know. And I meant to say social life, but it wasn't help with you. The other side of the desk saying, I don't believe you just said that. It was one of those moments where you, you, you just... Yeah, not that lady, and not, it was just so funny. But I must admit, she had a, a very good retort when she said, for all you know, Ivan, I might have. <laughs> the point of this conversation today was to... We've, we've got to a place where the industry is going to reduce further the number of people that, that farmers can trade with. Will, will the wheel be reinvented? Will we come back to a cooperative sector? At the moment, no, that's a mile away. Um... Maybe maybe a bit of hard times will bring that together. I, I, I don't know. But it, it's important there is a choice for farmers and it's important that farmers have enough knowledge about how to um, manoeuvre themselves around what happens next. It's, it's a, the change in, in our working lives, Ivan, mm. has been such that it's a completely different industry. Oh, tremendous. Tremendous uh, difference from when uh, you started your business off. Mm. Um, to where we are now, I mean, you have to be quite a good trader to survive. And, and in my day, when I quite, started, you could, make, <laughs> you could make a few mistakes. And I reckon seven out of ten, if you made a profit, seven out of ten, you were doing all right. But I must admit, you got to be near eight or nine out of ten these days. Yeah, I got, luckily I got a good team. I think the, the main thing that a company needs to have is outlets and niche outlets mm. to develop working with uh, consumers, um, molsters, brewers, distillers, and everything else. Um, I think that if people develop those niche markets, they make their company more secure. They build on a strong foundation. Mm. Uh, a lot of people have a meteoric rise to fame, and then two years later, they're in the farmyard manure. Thanks, Ivan, for coming in, and we are going to see you again. Hopefully, yes. Head over to our Twitter page, at Dewing Grain, to find out how you can be in with the chance of winning a Christmas hamper from Bakers and Lanas of Holt, worth £500. The winner will be announced on our podcast on the 17th of December. Good luck. And now it's time for Farm Chat. So it's, uh, it's back to my favourite time of the week. It's uh, time to sample another beer. What have we got, Ben? Hello, Webby. We have got Wolfrock, which is an exceptional red IPA from Cornwall. Now, if I'm correct in my beer thinking, the red colour comes from rye, uh, which is a very interesting crop. So um, It's quite it, common in a few beers now, though, rye. It is, and it does give it a really good taste. I want to give it a go. Okay, so you should get um, ripe sweetness and citrus. It's about to sound really samey, but that's a really good beer. I like that. Okay, yeah. hang on. Well, I'm going to have a little go now. Yeah, no, I do like that. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, yeah, that works Perfect. for me. Right, so to move on, I thought um, rather than our usual banter, me taking the piss out of you for being ginger and 
you well, know, that, you, never, that never gets old. And you, you getting back at me for being tall, dark, and handsome and chiselled. I thought I thought we'd Fat, talk round and coughing a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, I thought we'd talk about something sensible, Ben. I topic that's close to my heart: technical analysis. Oh yes, that's sure to send everyone to sleep. Oh, you're a non-believer then. <laughs> So, I mean, let's just put it out there for those that are unaware. I mean, this is obviously second nature for guys in the trade and and the listeners. but Not not for everyone in the trade, Webby. Very (laughs) true. Andrew was certainly a non-believer for a very long period of time. But he's he's coming round to our trains of thought. But, I mean, to to the um, sort of layman out there, the technical analysis is it's the study of trends and charts and trying to... Well, a decision-making, isn't it, by looking at charts? Yeah, and it, I mean, it's a fundamental part of our business and any business that is involved in futures, options, anything like that. I mean, all these pension funds and everyone, they have guys that only ever look at charts. Completely. you call them the chart trader, wouldn't you? The yeah. chartist. Yeah. And they, regardless of what the commodity is or whatever the stock is, they don't care. They will look at charts and say, right, that's a buy that's a sell, well, depending on what it's saying. So going back to a farmer's relevance, it should support their day-to-day decision-making, shouldn't it, really? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's no need for, for people to be... I mean, I can be a bit dismissive of, you know, this whole let's just sit in front of a screen and watch a chart, but there is a definite science to looking at a chart and understanding what it's telling you about mm-hmm. a market. I've, I've, I'm Andrew's always brought me up and the beliefs that fundamentals are king, which they are, you know, that's the key to market. But if you, if you take a fundamental view and you support it with a chart, then surely it's a winner. Yeah, it's all about being informed, isn't it? I mean, OK, yes, I, I get the whole fundamentals are king, but let's be blunt. The largest futures market in the world, the Chicago market, Ooh. those guys rule everything. And the pension funds that dip in and out of the Chicago Ooh. market, they've got guys just looking at charts. Which makes it a self-fulfilling prophecy, isn't it? it yeah, is. definitely. Yeah. So it's something that we uh, we use a lot, and like I say, Andrew has uh, sort of fought it, but even he's uh, he's using it now. So um, yeah, I love watching Andrew draw lines on graphs. It's really fascinating. some some are very yeah skeptical. It's uh, I think you've always got to be balanced when you're looking at a chart. It's very easy to get obsessed with trend lines, with uh, some of your stochastics. And okay. all these amazing numbers that you produce. Bollinger Bands, that's another favourite of mine. Yes, where does the origin of Bollinger Bands come from? Oh, you stumped me there. Is it the champagne? <laughs> so, I mean, the, the other, this is uh, going back to sort of ancient Chinese times, but you've got candlestick charting as well, Ben. What, what do, you want to, do you want to tell us a bit about candlesticks? Candlestick market. Or the candlestick uh, trends are very interesting. Obviously, you get the line to show where the market's traded and then the green fat bar and the red bar to show when it's up or down. That's always very interesting. Where you can really get very, very in-depth with candlesticks is the whole, uh, what are these, what some of the formations are called. Hmm. Yeah, what's it? Dojis, haramis. Yeah, it, it picks a bullish signal in the market. I think it's, it's an important thing, and, and we, we'd we like to try and press it on our farmer customer base to maybe take more of an interest in it, because I think it would really help a lot of the decision-making process for them. Definitely. I think the days of looking at a line graph that's a trend, it, they're just pointless now. You need to be looking at a candlestick graph with trend lines on it to understand how the market's operating. Mm. 
And I think, yeah, I think um, certainly farmers and other people in the trade need to understand what they're looking at. Ben, I, you've kind of really made me think. I mean, this is you, you've heard this first, first, guys, but here you've heard it first. But um, I, th- I think there's something in this. I think we should, uh, Jim and Graham, should run a course on technical analysis. Yes, you're right. We should definitely run a course. We've got enough people in the trade that we know that are constantly looking at charts to come up and, and give a really good informed talk. And I think um, you'd need to be prepared for it to be a little bit dry and maybe a bit hard work. But I guarantee you'd leave the day knowing a lot more than you think. And have a few beers afterwards as well. As ever, Webby, beer rules your life. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they're released. Dew and Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, we can supply you with the best strategies to help you achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Call now on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewandgrain.co.uk or follow us on Twitter. We are at dewandgrain. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by Tinshed Productions in conjunction with East Coast Design Studio. 